0: and welcome back to the Rumcast. We are the podcast that talks all things rum related with the people who love and shape it. Uh, We're incredibly excited today to be sharing with you our feature interview with Mr. Larry Warren, the proprietor of St. Nicholas Abbey Rum in Barbados, and really getting in depth with some of the fascinating differences between his operation and the other Barbados distilleries that we've covered previously here. But before we get into that, my name is John Gullah, and I'm joined in hosting this here podcast, as always, by the one and only Mister Will Hookinga. Will, how's it going? I'm good,
1: John. I understand we have uh, an, an interesting question that came in that we're gonna we're gonna jump into before we get to the interview with Larry, which I'm very excited to to share with everyone. Yeah, um, Saint Nicholas Abbey being one of those. Producers, that it, it's kind of hard to to get a feeling for it unless you go there, which we right. talk about as as uh, it, it's really more of a feature than than a bug. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm really excited to get into that later. But but before we get into that, what uh what what's this listener question that, uh, yeah. that came
0: yeah? Well, we had this really interesting one. Uh, we had uh, Alex Gould, a uh, uh, longtime listener. He reached out to us on Instagram, and uh, he's he's about to partake on a milestone of some importance. Will okay, uh, he, he's getting married oh. in October. October. Oh. all right well congrats alex yeah, and congrats, also
1: alex. excellent choice uh of october for getting married my uh and my wife's anniversary is actually october 20th which i believe is just about the perfect time of year as far as weather is concerned in most parts of the country so <laughs> yeah. uh kudos uh congratulations alex S- and still hot uh,
0: down here but that's uh, a <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's true, all year for us
1: I- i'm talking about you know the 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 the, the normal parts of the
0: United States. John. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Not the outliers, like, way down <laughs> exactly. in South Florida. Exactly. Uh, anyway, so Alex wants to do a cool idea. He wants to okay. do a, a rum sipping bar, specifically, at his wedding. I love this idea. For himself and his guests, yeah. And, and he's interested to get our opinion on what the bar might have at it that would appease and impress, you know, some of the rum enthusiasts, maybe, that will have, like himself, but really also people who are less familiar with sipping rums or even some outright novices that might be there. So kind of a, a
1: diverse crowd. Some people are going right. to be into rum, but I, I would presume that the majority of people are just going to be everyday you know, social drinker types. Who, yeah. Who, you know, there's there's probably some people who are adventurous, you're at a wedding, it's fun, you want to get into it and, and maybe try some stuff for the first time, even if you're not really someone who drinks spirits neat all that much.
0: Right, exactly. So this isn't a, a rum fest, right? Right. Where right. you're gonna be looking for those type of things. But at the same time, I do think as a rum fan himself, you know, we, we have to figure out some things that we think might work for for him and for everybody else. There was a couple other stipulations he mentioned, so I want to make sure to get okay. those. He mentions it should be roughly six. Boxes Bottles, give or take one or two max. So we're looking between you know four and eight bottles here that okay. we we would think would make this successful. And it's also worth noting, he said he's going to have a separate bar for mixed drinks, including rum and other spirits. So there's going to be that already there. So we're not worried about cocktails or mixed drinks okay. or things like that. We're really going for the rum sippers. Um, and I I don't think he's trying to blow people's minds like we were saying with right. anything, but uh, get some good stuff. So with that in mind, what are going to be some of your thoughts for Alex?
1: So I I have a few guidelines that come to mind, first of all. I think the first thing, and this runs counter to kind of how I enjoy rum, but I would say a good maxim to follow would be avoiding cask strength or yeah. uh, high ABV spirits, not yep. only because you want this to be approachable, but also just because you also want to avoid drunk people barfing all over your wedding,
0: right?
2: <laughs>
1: so, and it, That's you know, a good I, one, I, I hadn't thought of that. I'm not trying to cast aspersions on, you know, the crowd that's going to be on this wedding. I don't know what kind of crowd it's going to be, but I just know when people are looking to celebrate, party, have a good time, some people are looking for the path of least resistance to becoming inebriated, right? And mm-hmm. so mm. if you've got a great, uh, let's say you have like Foursquare 2009 there or something, you know, right. a great cask-strength rum, you you might run into some people getting that and just, you know, shooting it back. As I said, just trying to take that path of least resistance yeah. to getting absolutely hammered. In, in a social
0: environment, right? So now you have to be like, yeah, I can do this. Exactly. You know, no exactly. problem.
1: So I'm trying to avoid some of those scenarios. I would stick to stuff that's 50% ABV or less probably mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I also think you want to take kind of a diverse approach to the selection. So I think you want to pick countries that are sort of foundational rum producing countries, ones that you kind of send people to first. So obviously, you're going to want a Jamaica, a Barbados, um, Mm -hmm. maybe something from Guyana, maybe maybe something from Martinique, you know, I, right, I'm wanting to get a right. good mix, a good representation, and then also maybe throw in something fun that's quality and maybe unexpected, like St. Lucia or a blend or something like that. So the rums that are kind of in this wheelhouse that are coming to mind for me, I, I you know, I'm thinking the obvious Appleton recommendations, anything mm-hmm. on the eight to fifteen scale I'd probably do like the twelve or the fifteen, just because I feel like those have a little bit more mass appeal than the eight does. Yeah, maybe a worthy park estate reserve. Uh, I'm thinking about. You're going to want something from Mount Gay or Foursquare, probably, to represent Barbados for you. And, you know, unless you can get your hands on some St. Nicholas Abbey, we'll, we'll talk more about why you probably can't in time for your wedding later. But <laughs> uh, maybe something in El Dorado 12 or 15 to represent yep. the Guyana. Yeah. And like I was saying, something from St. Lucia would be cool. Maybe Chairman's Reserve Legacy. That's kind of one of my favorite go-tos for representing that island that mm-hmm. isn't super high strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a barb and Court eight year. maybe yep. a, a blend that came to mind was Denizen's merchants Reserve, which I think is fun and affordable, lots of character. It, it it I know it has a, some Martinique rum in it, but also that Jamaica component really kind of brings the flavor, but is approachable, I think. So, those are kind of the first things that came to mind for me. What about you?
0: I, I, you know, I had a similar thought that, that you did in terms of the diversity of trying to get all the different kind of major rum pedigrees in yeah. uh, there and, and establishing that wide base for people to see, wow, how diverse rum can be. Right. Um, I also fully agree with you that we're trying to stay away from anything that's going to melt your face off here or be an outlier that the ABV should be really in that 50 or less. I- I'm thinking things like Foursquare ECS, but the 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 red label ones, you know, the ones that are in that 46, 48, detente, yeah. indelible. I think those are fantastic representations. The- and the cask finishes there might be interesting for some people Agreed. that may not have-, have thought of that before. With Jamaica, I think your Appleton one is-, is the right way to go. I think Worthy Park Single Estate would also really be cool. I also want to include a couple, though, that I think we don't want to overlook for the this crowd. So, okay. a couple that I'm thinking of are something like Rugal 1888. Okay. Um now, I know there's some people out there who think there might be a little bit of added sugar. And and there may be, it's really unclear, but I can tell you if it, there is, it isn't much. It's mm. still a, a fairly dry rum, but getting that Dominican kind of Spanish uh, influence there, it's what a lot of people's conception of rum is to begin with. And so sure. not breaking that conception completely to start with might be a good thing to do. And then like you said, some other things, you know, Guyana or Admiral Rodney St. Lucia. That's
1: a good one. Yeah. That would yeah.
0: be a, you know, it's the 40 or 45 3% ABV range there mm-hmm. and a really, you know, nice bottle. I think people really enjoy it. It's a really well-refined one, rum. And hey, uh how about maybe something like a privateer?
1: Yeah, uh, an American
0: too. rum that you can throw in there. Yeah.
1: I like the idea of having sort of an unexpected category because that's Another thing that is kind of quintessential to rum is being mm. like, wow, rum is made there. You know, everyone kind of has that reaction yeah. at some point. And so, yeah, something like that could be cool. Or even, you know, going all the way to Fiji or something like that exactly. might be nice. Something outside the Caribbean to to really open people's eyes up to what's out there. Yeah, And that that's a good note on the the sort of you know light bodied column still style rum a few others that would fit in there where you slotted in the Brugal would be Panama so something yep. from Grander I know Grander. that's mm-hmm. a very approachable rum for a lot of newer people to the category or yeah. um, Don Q as well uh, Puerto Rico Don being a, would familiar, be a familiar a yeah. familiar rum uh, location so. I think those, and also both of those, you know, are going to have no no additives. Uh, yeah. confirmed. So that's right. That's another plus. Another one that I want to throw in is any t- like a lot of the TCRL releases. Mm, I think that's are a great. Good one. Yeah. Um. And and they're generally you know you can get a lot of them in that sort of. Fifty to sixty dollar price point. So maybe like the Australia, for example, that could fit into that unexpected slot as well. Right. right. And uh, by the way, on the note of TCRL, we do a quick plug. We did a bonus episode for patrons uh, just last week, kind of breaking down all of the new transcontinental run line releases yeah uh, of which there were
0: many right yeah
1: yeah there are a ton there's there's sort of the new core range seeing Mm -hmm. some repeat uh, familiar faces there but some new stuff as well and then all of the single barrels and everything that's hitting the market soon Uh, we also shared a little news about something uh special from the Bellier family that should be coming to the U.S. around the holidays. Ooh. So, if you want to check that out, go to patreon.com slash the rumcast. That's patreo ncom slash the rumcast. And you can get that bonus episode and all the other ones we're doing. So, um, all that aside, sorry to you know interrupt Not, our, our response it, to Alex's question <laughs> with, with a shameless plug, but I had to get it in there because it was appropriate. Um, yeah. But yeah, all that said, I think those are good recommendations. And, and one more kind of thing I was trying to keep in mind was... Like I really did want to find a way to get an unaged Agricole or something Same. like that in there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, my you only stole hesita- it from me. Yeah. My my only hesitancy is, and, and I do think I think Agricole would be good for this. But there are some rums that we love very much. You know, rums that are particularly funky or pungent. Mm -hmm. Um, We love them. You know, we talk about them all the time. Those rums, for some people, the smell can be a little bit room clearing. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, you open a bottle of rum fire and some people look at you like, get that away from me. Yeah. And so, I, I'm just trying to, to, you know, keep in mind, uh, avoiding something that's going to be the type of thing that the aroma fills the room. Um, but I do think, you know, like a Nissan Blanc or something like yep. that could be very nice. That. Or a St. Um,
0: James, if you can find it, maybe even the Pere Labat 40. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, I well, think those are, those are our recommendations. And yeah. this, I, I'm honestly jealous that, I you know, I got married all the way back in 2012, and I wasn't really into rum yet at that point of my life. So the idea to have a rum bar at my wedding didn't even occur to me. And yeah, I here. wish I could do that. That would be
0: fantastic. So it's funny, because I approached it the same way of saying, if this were my wedding, how would I do this? And what would I want to do? Mm. And so the quest- the last question I had for you before we kind of move on here is... like. How easy or hard was this for you? I started out with this being like, oh, super easy, got this, boom. And then the more I sat on it for two days, I was just like, my my mind was like, oh, but I have to include this, and oh, what about this, and oh, how about this? Did you yeah. do the same thing or? It's definitely like
1: it's it's. There's always more options you think of than you have room for, and there's yeah. always stuff that it feels bad to to leave to, out. To but cut off, yeah. I I do. It wasn't that difficult just because I I just. Like we talk a lot about, you know, flighting rums to introduce someone for the first time. And this to me feels similar to that with a few other kind of qualifiers added around it for the wedding context. But yeah, it was definitely fun. Enjoyed doing it and congratulations. Yeah, congrats, Alex. Alex. uh, And your fiance. Hope the wedding is awesome. (laughs) But John, with all that said, uh, we do have a great interview with Larry Warren, as we said, the owner of St. Nicholas Abbey in Barbados. The only distillery in Barbados, from which we had not interviewed someone yet. So, we kind of completed that. uh, Hit the
0: cycle, Will. Yeah, we
1: we checked all the boxes. (laughs) Although, pretty soon, we will not be able to say that anymore, because there are two Mm. new rum distilleries coming to Barbados, uh, I think expected to be within the next 12 months. Uh, We actually talk about that a little bit with Larry, because he you know, St. Nicholas Abbey for a while now has been like the quote-unquote new Barbados Distillery, even mm. though, you know, he acquired the property in, in 2006 and, and uh, you know, started working on the distillery then. So, it's been around for a while, but, you know, still relatively yeah. new speaking. And, yeah, we got into, you know, all aspects of it. Obviously, they're, they're growing sugarcane there. They uh, produce their rum from sugarcane syrup uh, rather than cane juice or molasses, which is a unique Thing about them on Barbados, and we talked a lot about that. We got to hear some really fun stories about just his process of developing, you know, mm-hmm. their approach to rum making and getting his advice mindset, yeah. from Richard Seal and and stuff like that. So, really cool stuff. Uh, I'm I'm excited for people to hear this one.
0: Yeah, it was a fun conversation. Like you kind of alluded to uh, earlier, is that this one for me had the most mystery of mm. any of the Barbados distilleries to it because of its small scale, because of its kind of very Barbados centric. I mean, it's only really sold there and in a few I places. I think
1: he said 96% of, of what they yeah. make is is sold there. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I thought it was more available in Europe. But as he was telling us, like you said, yeah, it's it, it's there, but it's a little less so than I anticipated. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's very, it, it just had a lot to to kind of figure out, I guess, if you will. And so, Larry did a great job of walking us through a bunch of that. And I feel like it's a, a really, th- something that's going to shed a lot of light for people who, as you mentioned, they can't go to Barbados. We're going to bring St. Nicholas Abbey to them a little. Exactly. So, with that, let's get on to it. <laughs>
1: owner of St. Nicholas Abbey in Barbados. And Larry, I I wanted to tell you when I've talked to a a handful of rum enthusiasts who have just gotten back from Barbados recently over the past few months, a a handful of people I knew went down there. And when I asked them how it was, it's almost unanimous that they not only mention St. Nicholas Abbey, but a lot of times they start with talking about that as one of the first highlights of the trip. And since John and I don't have any trips to Barbados on the calendar right now, unfortunately, um, we thought instead of waiting any longer, it would just be good to go ahead and have you on the show to bring St. Nicholas Abbey to us. So we're really yeah. excited to have you here. Thanks for joining us.
3: Well, no, thank you very much for um, putting together this sort of forum for rum enthusiasts. You know, it's, it's very much needed, you know, as a, a means of getting out authentic rum producers and letting them explain what really is the important aspects of good quality rum, you know, and how it's made. So this Mm -hmm. is this sort of form for sure. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Yeah. I-, I wanted to ask, is it still accurate to describe you as the newest rum distillery in Barbados? Because I I've, I've read recently about a couple more, we were just talking before we started recording that there are at least a couple more distilleries expected to open soon. And I wasn't sure how much longer that will be accurate. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, I-, I wanted to ask Yeah, how does it feel to no longer be the newest kid on the block now? It's yeah, almost like well, you're a veteran at this point.
3: Yeah, that's true. It's true. And you know what's the fun thing about being uh, the smallest distillery? I always say that I make as much or we make as much alcohol as the other distillers still in one day. You know? <laughs> that's great. Um, but, you know, it's, it's fun to, to be in the industry and not be competing. You know, you'd be in your own little niche market. Mm-hmm. Um, and, this, and we as we get into the discussion this evening, and I'll explain a little bit more about what I mean about that. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, we we I, I think this whole whole idea of more distillers coming to the island is an inclusive thing that we want to welcome, and it becomes a club where we together jointly agree that quality of a premium product is really the direction to go. You know, in in terms of Barbados, I I think. Um, Unfortunately, you know, um, the the environmental concerns that exist now with distilleries it's still a while before, particularly before the Wills distillery um, begets going. Uh, I suspect they still have at least another year or maybe nine months of environmental studies and all of that, you know? Mm -hmm.
1: So it's a pretty Mm -hmm. stringent process with with checking all the boxes for, for the government and everything? That's right, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that that's good to hear. I, I, I know in that type of island environment, that is even more of a factor, I feel like. I mean, the environment's important every, everywhere, but I would assume just the degree to which a distillery can impact the surroundings in a, yeah. a setting like Barbados is significantly higher than a lot of other places.
3: Yeah, and um, because we haven't had a lot of distilleries come through, um, you know, we had the old distillers that were here for 40 50 years and a hundred mm-hmm. years you know all, along came St. Nicholas Abbey and no distillery had been set up in the island for 40 years 50 years mm. and prior to poor square it would have been hundreds of years yeah
1: yeah I was gonna um, say it must have been they must have been the last one before you yeah
3: so they're becoming more and more stringent in how they they approach distilleries. But, you know, I'm happy, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very happy with, with the idea of working with people now because a lot of, a lot, there's a lot more direction now towards using sugarcane syrup in distilling. You know, even for squares, um, five years ago when I was talking about it with them. They were very skeptical, and then they have embraced it now a lot more.
1: That's that's very interesting. Yeah, it's I, we want to talk a little bit about using syrup later because I know it's mm-hmm. uh, it, it's certainly not as common. I, I know of uh, one producer here in the U.S. who's doing mm-hmm. it, um, and and maybe a, f- a few in, in Latin America, but it's it's certainly not seen quite as much as molasses or cane juice. Um, but bef- before we get into all that. I do want to back up a little bit to 2006 when you acquired the Abbey, I believe. I read that your background was in architecture before that. Um, So it seems like a a suitable place. I know it has unique architecture and stuff, but I really just wanted to hear, you know, what was it that drew you not only to to purchase St. Nicholas Abbey, but also want to restore it as a working farm and, and start the distillery and everything else because it's not like my understanding is there was there wasn't a, a distillery you were acquiring at the time you were going to have right. to build the distillery
3: yeah that's correct correct well of course all plantations in in the west indies would have made rum you yeah. know in various quantities um mount gay has been has been able to document it very clearly you know but um, it's, it's clear that all plantations would have made rum. So you have that heritage right there and provenance. But the reason I, I really went into rum producing is just through St. Nicholas Abbey. Um, it is really an iconic. It used to be years ago called, um, you know, the seventh wonder of Barbados. You know, I mean, it was oh, really? just such a, yeah, it was just such a wonderful Jacobean uh, mansion. It's sitting in 400 acres. It has everything going for it. It's in the Highland part of Barbados. The electricity that comes to the plantation only comes to the plantation, it goes nowhere else. Wow! And the actual plantation yard sits in the center of the 400 acres. So it's not like off to one side. Uh, when uh, I first realized that it was gonna eventually change hands because it had been within the cave family for over 150 years. Mm. It was way beyond my price range, but just as things were happening over an 18 month period, uh, no one was interested in it and wow. uh, when they yeah, it's just amazing and this is <laughs> <The> surprising. <was>, <laughs> yeah, and this was prior to the 2008 collapse you know okay, so yeah. everybody was spending money like crazy, you know right but nothing ever happened and when they eventually decided to bring it to a price that was more reasonable, then our families definitely saw it as an opportunity. As a young architect, I um worked for Marriott Hotels mm. and they had Sam Raur's Castle. And I saw what uh, the commercialization of a heritage home can ha- what can what can happen to it. Right. Over a period of 10, 15 years, it was slowly degraded to the point that um, it had lost all of its authenticity. Mm. You know? St. Nicholas was something that I was very worried about. Mm. So when, once we we agreed that we were going to buy it, we then had to find some way of sustaining it, because if not, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. along would come some something happened to me or my family, and then it would just become a, another condominium golf course, you know. Right. So mm-hmm. we um, we took a decision to build a business model that was revolving around sugar uh, and rum is part of that uh, part of that uh, history. And what we do is we we have a, an ethos where we we combine manufacturing in all respects, whether it's sugar, rum, or, or whatever, mm-hmm. with tourism, because then that gives a much more meaningful experience to the business. And this is something that we really embrace right through up until today. It's fifteen years now, you know, and we we really see this hands-on. Uh, experience for the visitor as being a very important ingredient in combining tourism with manufacturing and production
0: yeah it's interesting so you're kind of saying like hey you're not just going to purchase this place just because it's there and not have it do anything right you're saying right. if we're going to do this and we're going to save it that what is the operational plan kind of behind that to keep That's it right. going and keep yeah. it in good shape it's a it's that's a fascinating idea. Yeah, a lot of times you just buy property to buy property, but you have yeah. the
3: vision to say
0: it's not just about the property; it's about its function.
3: Yeah, because then it becomes a living entity that continues yeah. on forever. Yeah, uh, you know, you you set you, you set the foundations here and the various aspects of of the revenue that comes in, and then they that becomes something that other generations can build on. And I think that's important.
1: It's pretty astonishing to think about. I, to me, it it sounds like such a daunting proposition to acquire this property. And then it, it's almost, from my perspective, like you're starting three businesses. It's like you're starting a tourism yeah. business. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. starting uh, agriculture by, you know, investing in all the sugarcane. And then you're starting a distillery on right. top of that. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I talk to people who start distilleries all the time. And that sounds like enough of a responsibility <laughs> a lot of the time. So well, the you, fact you know. that you're you're here 15 years later and, and doing, doing yeah. well is, is really impressive.
3: Well, that's a very, that's a very interesting comment and very accurate because, uh, I, I realized early on, you know, like three o'clock in the morning when I woke up a real <laughs> and what I'd done <laughs> right. that, that if I was going to be successful, I needed to not, not look too far down the road, mm. because if I did look too far down the road, uh, it would all fall apart, you know? So I just looked at what the next logical step would be. Mm. So. You know, we, we restored it. We spent too much money because as architects do, especially <laughs> for their own. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful we spent that money because we did it right the first time. And then, of course, we had to, as you mentioned, John, that you, you need now to have a business model that would sustain it. And one thing I've learned with the rum production and building brands, it's an extremely slow burn It's nothing you can rush, Hmm. and um, you know we we have come into this new. It's not like Richard or or Mount Gay have a history in rum production uh, or spirits. So we we have to build this very slowly. Yeah, and that's another aspect of it, you know. But I knew in the early days that I couldn't just be the purchaser of rum and reselling it. I had to actually be making it. Yeah. So that was just another step in the in the. In the whole um new journey you know? yeah,
0: and I guess along those lines so you're you're in this interesting position of starting a distillery in a place that's made rum for a very long time, yes. So then it's taking those, to your point about taking the next step, I guess, uh, how did you take that next step and think about balancing all of the things in Barbados, the heritage, the traditions of rum making and the expectations with creating something new and different, perhaps?
3: Yeah, well, it's, it's, as I said, it's a a journey that happens progressively as you're getting into it, you know, you realize certain aspects of, of what is the next step to take. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I, in the beginning, understood that if we are going to be successful, we must, and and this is something I'll stress later on, we must be very true to our word, what we're doing and how we're telling the story. And because our rum is more than just uh, rum in a bottle. It's also about the experience here at St. Nicholas Mm -hmm. and having the history of it and knowing that we are committed to maintaining this legacy and building it. And it's amazing how people jump on board with that, you know, and they 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 get involved in it as part of their purchases and so on. But, you know, the distillery was never intended to be a big distillery. And mm-hmm. we also have tried to make it as hands-on as possible. So we have a minimum amount of mechanization. In our bottling, in our production, and this is all part of this story that we tell. And visitors come and they see us with, you know, two hundred bottles on the on this big table, and we're bottling them, packaging them, wrapping them yeah. individually and engraving.
1: On the the rum side of things, I know you've you've had a relationship with Foursquare Distillery uh, from the beginning. Many yes. of your Products to date were distilled there while you ramped up production of your own rum, which we're going to yeah. talk about in a bit. But it, it's also my understanding from from reading that Richard Seal assisted you in kind of developing your rums and production processes. So I, I wanted to know how did that relationship with Richard come about, and how has he kind of influenced the the development of the distillery?
3: Well, I think the one thing you must say about Richard Seal, and this is absolutely uh, fundamental in his whole psyche and but being in rum he has a tremendous passion for making rum good rum and you know he doesn't um he he doesn't make any um qualms about saying that rums that have sugar in it or this or that are are inferior you know yeah he lets his voice be heard right yeah 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 i remember (laughs) i I remember i I wasn't there but i remember he used to go around to one of i won't say which um rum fest it was with a density meter in his hand right? and he'd be testing the rums <laughs> and said, oh, this has sugar. And I think they disinvited him to the next one. <laughs> Not on the list. <laughs> no, but Richard, through a family member that worked with him, I needed a rum to sell. Yeah. Uh, and in those early days, I was knew nothing about rum like, other than drinking it growing up. And Richard, you know, he had um, a 1998 rum, which was... You know, just, just about seven years old, then seven, eight year old. And he had, he had shown it to me. And honestly, I, I never really thought it was great. You know, mm. it, was, it was a bit woody for me because I was more accustomed to drinking um, sweeter rums. Uh-huh. Um, but then I started to realize that this is only the first steps in the maturation and the growth of the flavor profile of the rum. So once I had made the decision to go into the distillery, it was only natural that I would go to Richard and ask him for you know, his advice. And he gave me good advice. He didn't get too detailed with his advice. Mm-hmm. But what he's, he said, you know, first of all, is get the best spirit possible and put it in a barrel, And that's your first, your first responsibility is get the alcohol, the rum to the very best quality it can be. And then we realized that with such a small batch still that we have, if we are going to have to constantly change our recipe because of the quality and variations in melances, right. right, we will be forever chasing your tail, trying to yeah exactly, mm-hmm. trying to get something consistent. Yeah. And then that's when we, we because we had a mill, you know, the, the plantation had a steam mill it and it was working. Well we we refurbished it. So it was a matter of then agreeing how we were going to go about it. And syrup was the natural. Um, we started initially with sugarcane juice, but it is very volatile and you have to get everything just right. Right. Get it all ready to go. Whereas syrup gives you a long opportunity. Uh, opportunities. A shelf to, life. Yeah. And there's a natural pasteurization that occurs with mm-hmm. when you're making syrup that kills off any wild yeast or more importantly, bacteria. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can now control it very much better. Usage uh, syrup. So the the notion of not using molasses and, and converting to to syrup was done really because we were just so small, you know. But it was a right decision because then that allowed us to integrate everything with the tourism aspect of it. Uh, you know, the visitor comes and experiences it, 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 it from the feel, basically, mm-hmm. to the bottle. And his advice then became slightly more giving me guidelines, but he didn't get very involved in the distilling process. That's something that I had to do on my own gotcha. because he was very much more involved with molasses distilling. Yeah. And the two the two of them, while it's fundamentally the same thing. They do have a, a, a difference, mm. which we had to, it took us about three years and a wonderful book. If anyone ever gets a copy of this book, called "The Complete Distiller," oh. and, backwards. and this this book is really just written very well, explains the process, and we just went from there. How how old is that book? I think it's first of all it was produced in New Zealand. Oh wow! And the oh. reason, it, and the reason it was produced in New Zealand, is because back in 2000 to 2010. New Zealand was one of the few countries in the world that allowed distilling legally at home. At
1: oh, wow. Okay. Nice. Yeah.
3: Very well written. And, we, and you know, uh, once you understand the principles of it, we, we just developed our own way of doing it. So you, uh-huh. you're
0: literally by the book. Yeah. Literally by the book.
3: <laughs> yeah. And of course, the, the wonderful thing, as I said about Richard, is I sent him maybe after two months a bottle of rum and just asked his opinion you know was that
1: (laughs) nerve-wracking yeah it was it was
3: (laughs) and the opinion didn't come back so good you know um because of course we were taking the cuts a little too far into the tails and Mm. maybe too early in the head Mm -hmm. but then about four years later at rum fest in london i asked him to taste my white rum which he he thinks is crazy to me to Produce white rum i should only be borrowing all my rum interesting yeah yeah well i i explained to him i said you know it's the sort of product that i have right away yeah and i treat it like an ambassador mm-hmm. this is the beginnings of my age rum. what do you think about it yeah and and most people think it is it has a wonderful kind of bouquet and nice palette nice smooth finish So they kind of start thinking, yeah, I can see in five years this will be a nice run. Mm -hmm. And that's what we really wanted. We didn't sell off of it. How how better
0: to be honest, right? Than to to start with the distillate in that way. Yeah.
3: That's right. Mm -hmm. So at Run Fest, I gave him a sit and he never said anything. He just went (laughs) went up and down in his head and then walked away. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: an improvement from the first time, right?
3: Yeah, so I figured, well, I'm okay. I think I'm on my way. <laughs> <laughs> Uh,
0: but before we get too far into the rums and, and all of the ways that you're making it there in the sugarcane syrup, because I want to hear more about that, but just to clear it up a little bit for people, so when we look up online and we see what St. Nicholas Abbey's rums are available, you see now, as you mentioned, you have your white unaged rums, and those are both in 40 ABV and 60 ABV, so a, a higher strength version, and then you have now your five-year aged versions as well, which is all distilled from you all, right? And those are also 40% and and 60%. And then there's, I know there's also a 15-year rum. And if you really look around and you start to see all of these other things, an 8-year, a 12-year, an 18, a 20, a 22, and even a 23. So I I think you mentioned already, those are four square sourced molasses rums, right? Those ones, right. So the, the rums that are yours now that are on the market are the white's, And the five years.
3: And the eight. Oh. Yeah, the eight is really my absolute favorite. Uh, I I can honestly tell you. It it is really showcased that I am going to one day create a rum as good as Richard's 23-year-old rum. So right now I have uh, about 400 barrels of rum between, you know, yesterday and 12 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll be 12 years old in January of next year. So any rums that you would see that might be 15 or 18 or 20, 22, 23, they're Richard's rums. Okay. Now, sometimes you might see a 15 because some um, of the retailers would have invested in that rum and it may not have sold because of its price point overseas. Mm, Right. And so they might still have it at 15. So right now we only have about Six or seven barrels of twenty-three year-old rum left, and maybe about twice as much of that of what is going to be eighteen. Yeah, it's, it's going to be twenty-year-old rum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we 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 keep the label. We don't we don't move the label every year. We, right. We group it. You know. Sure. The only the only time we moved it every year was the twenty-three, and that was because I was going to sell it to uh, a. Czechoslovakian distributor who in the end decided that he, he couldn't get it sorted out and I had already printed the labels.
0: Uh yeah, yeah I see. So then you're moving forward, you still have some of that foursquare stock left. Yeah. But really, uh, now that you have your own aged rums, that is that where the focus is gonna lie in the future for you?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean okay. the, the only reason that I kind of focused on four square rum is because I have kind of like been the babysitter of these rums for the last 15 years, right? And I know Richard most likely has four squares, most likely has barrels of the same age, mm-hmm. but most likely not at the quantity I have. Maybe a barrel or you know mm-hmm. a half barrel. So what I'm really trying to do is to push these rums as far as I think they can go age wise. And the 23 one day, I'm expecting it'll be 25, 28, and 30. Mm-hmm. So we're not that keen on selling it, but if you must have it, you, you can <laughs> buy it. <laughs>
0: it's there. It's you there. can pay the price. That's right. I wasn't going
3: to say that, but you can pay the
0: price.
1: <laughs> so um, I, I want to get back to the sugar cane syrup. Because, uh, like I was saying, I think that's a, a style of rum that a lot of our listeners probably haven't experienced before. Um, It may not even understand kind of, you know, what the process is to to get cane syrup. So I'd love to hear just kind of your process of of producing it and um, maybe a little bit about just any unique differences between distilling it versus molasses, as you you were kind of talking about earlier.
3: Well, I mean, it it for sure is a a wonderful way of making rum um, because it gives you the possibility to produce a very light rum that has a wide range of very subtle flavors. And then depending on how much wood you get add to it, you can draw those subtleties out into the age of the Mm -hmm. rum. So none of our barrels are in any way new barrels, right? We use the exact same barrel that the rum in 2006 is in for our rums today. We don't char them, we do nothing with them. Because of the very light, delicate kind of notes to the rum, it responds well. Mm. And this is where, I think this is where the eight-year-old is right now. Because the eight-year-old has now moved into a time frame with this very subtle wood infusion, because it's a very old barrel and it's not in any way Mm. kind of um, amplified. Mm. Right. The eight-year-old is now getting into itself and with these wonderful, very subtle notes. And still with a very delicate background. And because we have, I'll get back to the whole process, but because sure. we had high ester rums, uh, particularly in the early days, um, very high ester. Oh, really? The, the problems with, with cloudiness, uh, particularly cooler temperatures, right, requires chill filtering. Right. But so we've only just stopped chill filtering oh, our five and okay. eight year old. So right now, from this year on, our rums are not chill filtered. But we wow. didn't have to do it in the early days because uh, of the high ester aspect. So in terms of the, of the process, we obviously start with sugar cane, which is hand cut, about 15 tons a week. And we crush the cane in our mill, which is put through the mill only once, mainly because of the labor aspect. And also cane does have a little bit like a rind to it, you know, and this mill is really crushing it so the process then would be once the cane is crushed and it's um, the juice is sent to an evaporator that reduces it down to syrup um so the evaporation process is really reducing the juice by by uh, to a third they're moving two-thirds of the of the water
1: and so is this is this done by heating it
3: correct um okay. by steam okay yeah.
1: so steam heated
3: but in a vacuum so it's 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 um boiling about sixty degrees Celsius mm-hmm. or less. That is then transferred to a big stainless steel tank where we store it for anywhere up to about three years. And then that is the what we use for our fermentation. Yeah. Once we've got the syrup to um, point where we can then reconstitute it back to juice, and then that is used in the in the fermentation process.
1: How, how do you how do you reconstitute it back into juice? We just add back water
3: to it. Uh,
1: okay, so it's like yeah. thinning thinning the syrup out. Okay, yeah. If so
3: when when um, juice is produced, it, because of the high high density, it reduces bacterial growth in cell at the cell level. Hmm. And because we are pasteurizing it, we now have a fairly sanitized product. So what happens is we're able to then reconstitute it in in a very sanitary way. And the benefit of that is that we are able to then control everything, fermentation right through the distillation. And that's where the strength of a small distillery comes in because we can intimately control these processes to a level that a big distillery can't do. For instance, our sanitation of our fermentation would be far beyond a lot of the big distilleries because some of them are using wood. And that's fine, I mean, that's that's fine. But what we're trying to do is to have that light, delicate rum that really has its unique uh, flavors from the yeast for fermentation.
1: I wanted to circle back. You mentioned just a few minutes ago that you were doing high ester rum production s- several years back. Is is are you still doing high ester production, or, or how has that how has that evolved?
3: That's a very good question again too, because the one I meant by that is in the process of the first three years, we had to decide on how much um, cuts we were going to take into the tails of mm-hmm. the of the rum and. The rum that we produced in those days, we were taking much deeper cuts in the tails. Yeah. So um, we were getting um, higher esters in the rum. Hmm. Gotcha. And we have scaled back as we grew and understood what we were doing so that the eight-year-old rum and the fives now represent that lovely balance between the esters and the flavor profile that you yeah. get. Some of the... The 12 year old rum from my perspective i'm being very very honest
1: and this is your your rum that's 12 yes. years old but that, yeah. that hasn't been released yet right that's right
3: okay yeah we have one bottle barrel which we found that was what happened is 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 during the initial processes we were the their initial um, distillation we would almost be distilling aging and taking the rum out after four years five years. So we missed one barrel, and <laughs> we found that barrel end of last year.
1: That's a nice surprise. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, so we 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 bottled it, and it's um it's really um one one distributor said it's a UFO because you know the the range in higher alcohols was like six times one oh, wow. out of five year old would be now. So um that's that's what I meant about if I asked the Hiester rum our yeah. rums would still in, in relative terms be classified high-ester rums in comparison to, you know, distilleries that are using column stills, Mm. industrial column stills, and pot stills for blending. Because one of the things that puts us aside from all the other distilleries is we do not blend anything. We don't do any blending whatsoever. Mm. The only thing that we will do is dilute the rum with distilled RO water.
1: So then every every bottle of aged rum each one comes from
3: one barrel then yeah and you'll get you'll get different very slightly different sure. flavors yeah yeah And that's the beauty of it, you know, Mm -hmm, depending mm -hmm. on on the wood.
1: To quickly go through, we talked about how you get the syrup. So how how long is your your typical fermentation? And then I I don't think we've covered just sort of, you know, what your still setup looks like there. So I'd I'd love to quickly hear about that before we continue.
3: So the the still is um, Arlo Bolstein, a German still. Mm -hmm. And it produces effectively from one batch, it produces one barrel of rum. (laughs) <laughs> at 65%, <laughs> you know. So what, what it is, is it's the pot still, and then it's attached to a rectifying column, mm-hmm. which is linear. So it, it only takes the alcohol off the top of it, not uh, on ports uh, on the side. And um, it has nine plates, part of the experimentation to get the right flavors, the right cuts in the tails and the heads was a combination of time versus quality you know mm-hmm. so we realized that if you if you try to move it along too fast your quality diminishes so that's where we found that that nice balance and effectively the the still is allowing the master distiller to actually well you could say in some respects blend the rum on the still what comes mm-hmm. off the still is a, a series of decisions that have been made, but we place much more emphasis on di- on fermentation than we do on distilling, mm. because you know when you become a you understand still, it's like clockwork in many ways, but getting the fermentation right is very very much more difficult, mm. and that's where we put a lot of our attention is in the fermentation. So one of the benefits of using syrup is that we are able to get, to push our sugar wine to, you know, up to 16 degrees. I was 16% alcohol, whereas molasses might be more like seven to nine. So we are able to keep the yeast alive in a very much benign environment, temperature, pH. And those are the things that we really spent a lot of time on.
1: Did you did you do a lot of experimentation with different yeasts, different amounts of time and things like that before you settled on something?
3: Well, I have to tell you, um, Richard Lee introduced us to a yeast setting, and his strain comes from South Africa, and he was using it at the time. And we would naturally, you know, ask him for the yeast. And yeah. it worked out absolutely perfect because when we... When he, he ran out of yeast one time, he had to get it sourced from somewhere else. And we realized right away that, mm-hmm. that you know, yeah. we had actually the correct yeast in the beginning, you know? Mm. It was really an important, that whole process of getting the fermentation right, it was the key to what our rums are today, you know? Uh, we have endless notes going back on, um, like, books. Oh, every really? ferment, yeah, every fermentation we uh, do... And every distillation we do, we take notes every single word. So what we can do is we can almost look back in time to see where the, where we made that decision to that has transformed the, the end product that we have today.
1: I'm imagining like a a big leather bound ledger um,
3: type thing, like
0: very, you know, very uh, impressive looking.
3: No, nothing like that. It's more like a lab book. Uh, That sounds cool too.
0: Does it have a nice cloth bookmark,
3: (laughs) velvety? Yeah, that's what it kind of looks like. Okay.
0: Well, yeah, that looks very scientific, very orderly. Very cool. So, Larry, you mentioned a couple of ways that St. Nicholas Abbey is different in its rum making already than a lot of the other Barbados uh, distilleries, which is its sugarcane syrup, and it's all single cask. But I think there's another way also that you're different. And now, I'm I'm not going to pretend to be a, an expert on the topography of Barbados, never having been there, but I understand that you all are located in the highlands, Yes. And so that microclimate, I expect, would be somewhat different than some of the other distilleries. And I just wanted to see if you could speak a little bit to how much of a role that plays. And, you know, does aging there make it a different finished product and make it different from the other well-known Barbados rums?
3: Yeah, well, I, I think um, Richard's rums that were aged here speak for themselves, because for one thing, we aged the rum on a very low alcohol strength. So he might have been aging his rums at so you're going 65. in the barrel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we were aging them at 43.
0: Wow. Um, okay.
3: Yeah. And the reason for that is in the early days, unknown to us, we just made that decision. That whole theme, you know, of taking the rum from the barrel and doing nothing to it. Right. or minimum you didn't want to
1: add water after you took yeah, it. Yeah, exactly.
3: So we figured in the early days, we just take the rum out of the barrel, put it in the bottle, you mm-hmm. know, and that's why we wanted it at 43%. But it has proven now to be really, really advantageous because with a higher amount of water content and low, uh, lower alcohol strength in the barrel, the, the solvent, the alcohol as a solvent, is leaching the wood at a very much lower rate than right. it right. would at a high alcohol strength. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this is why I think his 23 his year old run is still very palatable and really, really nice. Because remember, we're doing nothing to it. It's the barrel, right, giving us what it is. It's not like recently I have tasted some blended rums, and they're just so amazing, how smooth and tame they are, you know. And then you almost like it's been like manufactured, not manufactured, but it's been designed. I think is the word mm-hmm. I should use. Whereas the, the the aging process is doing it on its own, and you're reaping the benefits of it you know but the highland position is is good because um we would have an average of maybe two to three degrees cooler than mm-hmm. st philip or even here in st lucy mm-hmm. um recently i had one of the other distillers mentioned that they were having a loss of about 10 or 11 percent but our loss here is almost exactly six percent so oh, it's, wow that's a big yeah, difference much yeah lower. that's
0: huge yeah
3: yeah, much lower. And, of course, in Scotland, it's going to be like 2%. Right, know? right, yeah. It, it makes a big difference because, you, you know, you're, it's not just temperature, it's your hum- humidity. Mm-hmm. And that's all part of the... Of, of, The highland location here. I mean, most days in um, December and uh, October, we can get fog here. Oh, really? The whole whole plantation is covered in fog.
1: Adds a kind of cinematic quality to it. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. It's really, it's just really high and low lying clouds coming through. Yeah. Yeah.
1: From what I'm hearing from your description of the aging process, it sounds like you're taking a lot of steps to really. You, you, it sounds like you don't want the wood to overly influence right. the right. spirit. Um, yeah. And I wanted to circle back. I think you mentioned that you're using all the same type of casks. Um, yes. I, you mentioned one earlier that had been used quite a bit. Are are you reusing most of your casks? And yes. what what are they when they when when a new cask gets to you? And I don't mean new wood, just a, a one that hasn't been used by you yet. What what kind of barrels are those?
3: Well. Um, We would have started off with barrels out of from Tennessee and Mm -hmm. and bourbon barrels. Right down the road from me. Yeah, (laughs) right. Okay. And some of our barrels are still stamped at the back Jack Daniels. Mm. Um, we no longer actually buying new barrels. I mean buy barrels, because our turnover is equal to our production Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. and then you have to factor in loss. Yeah. So I don't think we've actually purchased new barrels for some time now, you know, like maybe four years. It's a constant battle up here in the salt, salty atmosphere Right. That where we are. Uh, to keep the barrels you know the hoops and everything properly from deteriorating mm-hmm. it's it's really um the same barrels that we would have had from 2006 right on occasionally a top-up in between when true.
0: it seems like you've got everything very meticulously planned out and and kind of Almost equalized in a in a nice way. Yeah. Once
1: yeah. I saw that notebook, meticulous <laughs> was right. the, the the word that came to mind for me. Fastidious, well, again, maybe
3: th- this is the lesson that we learn, um, and, uh, and I mentioned it earlier: is that the fact that you are small has great benefits, yeah. and you should and you should take advantage of those benefits. So, uh, when you do a run experience with with me, I I try to explain to to everyone that. The consumer is extremely important to us, and we cannot let the consumer down, you know? It's like when I was a boy growing up and I had a toy or something, and it was made so wonderful. I can remember years later, when, uh, when I had you know saw the toy again, it was no longer made of metal, but it was plastic. and yeah And, and you get that sense of, oh my Lord, you know
1: those are the toys it, that I grew up with. Yeah. Plastic ones. Yeah.
3: (laughs) But you know, the the manufacturer is taking the the quick the 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 lucrative route, you know. Right. So what we what we say is we're not selling more rum than we can manufacture the way we manufacture it. Because if we if we go away from that, then we're just jumping into the competitive nature of more, more, more. Mm-hmm, Whereas yeah. here we're just trying, we're just trying to do it, you know, hand bottle everything, crush our canes with the with the amount of cane that we can handle, ferment it, distill it, barrel it, and bottle it and package yeah. it. You yeah. know
0: that that's the reason why I haven't been able to get my hands on a bottle yet, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Uh- the- that- I'll have to come to Barbados. <laughs> yes, yes.
3: So the, the United States is really difficult because, you know, there's so many regulations related to the legacy of, oh, yeah. of prohibition. Yeah. And, a different, different distributor
1: and, for every state. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: And, and then the problem is, again, we're such a small producer. Right. So It's very difficult to, to do it. Um, we right now um, have our major export market is London mm. and France. We have a we have a distributor in France now, who is actually exceeding the London export. Oh, but wow. we're only still talking about ninety six percent of our rum still being sold there at the plantation. Wow. So we, you know, it's, it's a small percentage, really. Yeah,
0: you mentioned uh, a little bit of the history of Saint Nicholas Abbey when we started the conversation, and I, I I've been uh, wanting to get back to it because I did read through some of your website. And uh, there's a page that talks about the history of the distillery there. I'm sure you're familiar with it and some of the previous owners. And the first sentence of that page reads, St. Nicholas Abbey's 350-year history is filled with colorful tales of murder, love, and intrigue. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was not the first line I expected to read <laughs> about yeah. an abbey. Uh, <laughs> and yes. it, just,
3: it, it took me by surprise there. So in the early days, the Two partners were like real estate agents out of Spikestown. And one of them, Beringer, his wife, Margaret was really beautiful woman. And we think that St. Nicholas was built the way it was built just because of her disposition that she wanted a beautiful home. Mm -hmm. But while Beringer was in in England, uh, getting the plans and doing everything, she picked up with the, with the partner. And then the two of them conspired to poison him and wow. took the plantation Ouch. and his wife.
0: It sounds like a novel for sure. Um, but I just wanted to, you know, kind of ask you how much of that history have you really kind of delved into and how much of that tradition have you incorporated into the Abbey still today?
3: Well, yeah, it comes back to our what we stamp on every one of our bottles, uh, you know, quality and tradition, you know, mm. uh, that there really says what we do. I, I think, um, you know, you, you, you take the history of St. Nicholas, you take the desire to see it preserved, and you add the sustainability of rum with the legacy of the history of rum in Barbados and uh, St. Nicholas. Because after all, you know, it would have made rum. And you, you put that together in a way that gives confidence to the consumer that this is not a gimmick, you know? Mm-hmm. And you know where, where that comes back to? It comes back to a visitor who may have come here in 2008 and then he returns in 2022 and he says, you know, you're doing it the same way, same way that you did it back in 2008. You know,
2: hmm.
3: and you haven't cut corners, you haven't changed it, you haven't started blending so you can now start adding alcohol and creating different flavors. Yeah. And we don't experiment with our wood at all. We like the idea that we have a ground base of good, you know, American white oak, very mature barrels. yeah, And we prefer to try and make sure that the rum that goes in it is the best quality possible from our perspective.
1: So you're not experimenting with a bunch of you know used wine casks and yeah, things like that yeah. over at St. Nicholas Abbey.
3: Yeah, no, and, and we do that on a game because my perception of that is it it, it has been successful for Foursquare and and now Mount Gay is getting involved in it. But my perception from our perspective is is that is right for us being yeah. such a small intimate right. distillery. Right. That is the key to someone saying, ah, well, you know, they're now trying to get a little bit more market share and do this. And mm-hmm. so I see it as a, as a negative. You know, I'm sure if Richard or Raphael was on, is listening here, they would be laughing. But, <laughs> but remember, their volumes are so much right. larger. The
0: scale of their operation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They
3: have to do that to sustain a quality product.
1: How much do you know about rum production historically at St. Nicholas Abbey? Do you have much information on things like how much rum was made there, what it was like, production methods, anything like that?
3: Yeah, well, I think, you know, one of the things that I have fallen down on over the past few years is there's such a huge amount of information on St. Nicholas. I mean, more so than nearly any plantation in the island that there is still a lot to be discovered. We have a national archive that fortunately was moved out of Bridgetown in the very early days. So when the fires of the city did not destroy a lot of the records, which is unusual because a lot of the records were kept in the cities. Mm -hmm. So it was moved out. And I'm just hoping for the day when um, they digitize it, and now you can go and just search at Nicholas Abbey and it will Mm -hmm. search millions of records. But what we do know is there was a record of, and I'm not sure, I doubt they would have been talking about liters. The quantity seems large, but they, they did speak uh, about in some of uh, the handwritten notes I have here, which I haven't fully even gone through because we have mountains and mountains of books mm-hmm. here of a record of 8,000 gallons of rum produced. But that seems to me to be large, uh, and I'm not sure that's correct. Maybe yeah. like eight hundred gallons, you know. But you know, Malgais has been able to stamp a particular point in time that they, their valuation showed that they had stills and uh, right. from producing products. But equally, I'm sure time will tell if the if the archives are are. Are properly searched, you'll find other plantations would have been producing rum too.
1: You alluded to this earlier, but uh, along with Mount Gay and Foursquare, you recently created a producer group called Genuine Barbados Rum Incorporated and applied for a geographical indicator, a GI for Barbados Rum. Uh, and I was interested, just, you know, there was a, a big announcement, press release mm-hmm. came out of, of, you know, rum enthusiasts, I think everyone, most people are aware of it. And, you know, it generated a lot of interest and in kind of the ongoing development of the GI, which we've, we've talked to Richard about on the podcast as well. But I was curious, you know, what have you learned through the process of creating and pursuing the GI? And, and what do you think the next steps will look like now that you've uh, applied for that?
3: Well, there, there is a little, still a lot of uncertainty, you yeah. know? Um, one of the things that I've determined and I can now tell you is most of the government people who are involved in this GI, whether because they've come into it new or they haven't, don't know anything about the rum industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really, we, we, we constantly try to explain to them that you can be a rum producing country, and produce millions of gallons of alcohol like St. Croix and Diageo and Puerto Rico. Or you can be, you know, the home of rum, Barbados and not produce millions of gallons, but produce top quality premium rum, mm-hmm. you know,
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, because that assures you that you will always be champagne and not Prosecco, Right. you know. Um, so, you know, the, the point I'm, I'm making is is that the pressures of the industry will always gravitate to the quality of the product. Mm-hmm. And this is where the Rum GI comes. So I'm hesitant to say that it's a done deal. I don't think it's a done deal. Right, right, right. right. I think I think a lot of the people in government have this this view that if we export millions of gallons of rum, we are gonna be a successful rum producer. Mm -hmm. But I always say- It's just
1: about volume.
3: Yeah, just volume. So St. Nicholas Abbey is an extremely good example of this and no one really ever mentions. And I plan to do a reply to Export Barbados, which shows a graph of the rum producers on West Indies, Rum Distillery, Mount Gay, St. Nicholas Abbey, mm-hmm. and Foursquare. Mm-hmm. And of course, West Indies Rum Distillery is way up in the air producing and Foursquare and Mount Gay are fighting here, you know, in the in the middle, ch- mm-hmm. bottom. And of course, St. Nicholas Abbey is nowhere on the chart. Uh-huh. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. If, you, if you were to even zoom in, you couldn't <laughs> find it.
0: You'd have to pull out your magnifying glass.
3: That's right. But <laughs> if you were now to do another chart, and that chart was to say, what is the most expensive rum produced and exported in Barbados? Mm-hmm. So Nicholas Abbey would be at the top of the list. And that's all because we are trying to promote quality, right. quantity. Mm-hmm. So what the government government people who are going to be making these decisions about the GI, moving it to the next level getting it you know um uh, approved and and what they understand is is that this is a is an instrument for uplifting barbados rum and making it a quality problem mm-hmm. not to just be pushing out bulk rum you know
1: how, how then do like like would a, a next step be for the government to have a conversation with you about this like or do they just take the, the proposal and kind of look at it and say yes or no or is there kind of an ongoing time to make your case for it
3: well, it's, it's like any patent that you're going to, to – um, Richard is very much more involved in it, mm-hmm. but it's he, it, it's been submitted, and uh, now it has to go through the process of, you know, checking it, if the claims are authentic and right. whether, it, you know, it can be approved. And then, of course, that's just the beginning. Yeah. Then you have to take it to the European and to external sources to get them to validate it. Exactly. And this is the point that we made. There's no sense taking rubbish to the European Union. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they look at it, it's, you know, you have everything in it, 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 it in the kitchen sink, you know, every possible. It has to be reasonable and sensible, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So where we are right now is we've submitted it to the patent office, if you want to call it. And we're waiting for it to make its way through the process. Mm-hmm. But this recent uh, ad in the, in the newspaper from X4 Barbados shows that they have not got a clue what they're talking about. Absolutely, do not understand it.
1: I, I saw the article and it did seem to be kind of a, a bit of forceful pushback on on yeah. the uh, the application.
3: Yeah, and we must we must stress this here. We want it to be inclusive. I have just said, said earlier on that we welcome more distilleries coming to the island mm. and they come into an environment where they see we are trying to do something the right way and they're going to benefit from it because yeah. they're going to be adding value to what they're producing because they are working within this environment. Mm-hmm. But this notion that, that you could age the rum overseas, bottle it overseas, blend it overseas, and still have that stamp quality Barbados rum, Mm-hmm. When we are growing the sugarcane, grinding it, fermenting it, distilling it, aging it, and yeah. bottling it in Barbados. Mm-hmm. So how how does that, that doesn't seem to mean to, and, and Mount Gay is just invested. Listen, I have to say this here. Mount Gay is a superb example mm. of a foreign company coming in, investing, and doing it the right way. Superb. Mm-hmm. That's what we need more of, you know?
1: Yeah, we had an opportunity to talk with Jackie Brooms, uh, who's in charge of agriculture over there, and Maggie Campbell as well, who's newer. Mm-hmm. But just hearing about all they're doing in terms of uh, the agricultural investments and everything was 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 super interesting. And yeah. and yeah, like like you said, good good to see because sometimes you know when a large outside company you know acquires a distillery, that yeah. that doesn't always happen. Uh, No, not just in Barbados, but like anywhere, you know, in the world of spirits, you you just don't always see that. So it is encouraging.
3: Well, it's, it's, I think it's because also the owners of uh, Mount Gay, they are a family and they understand that the, you know, the whole context of making decisions, having value in what you have purchased and trying to build on that value. So, you know. Now, Mount Gay, within the competitive environment, can claim they have a plantation, they have a sugar factory, they're mm-hmm. producing their molasses, maybe not all of it. Yeah. But they're, sh- and they're bottling it here in Barbados, except for maybe a very small amount, less than 5%, I think, it's of the small bottles they do in uh, France. Right. So, you know, they do small sample bottles. And then you couple that with the legacy of Richard Seale and his family, as, you know, uh, merchants in Roebuck Street and their growth of of their blending their rum to then taking a big step as a family, Barbadian family, and investing in Foursquare and then making a superb rum, becoming a world-renowned distiller. Why would these distillers not have a GI? Why? I mean, you know, This is such a great example of, of of an industry that's very much home to Barbados.
1: Well, um, yeah, I know everyone will be kind of watching to see what happens. Um, and yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting, as you said, with with more distilleries coming into Barbados. Lots of other countries, we're starting to see more and more new rum distilleries pop up, but it's not always in a place that has a long rum making heritage. So Correct. seeing that happen yeah. in a place like Barbados is, is really cool. And I know we'll certainly be keeping an eye out for for what's coming down down the pike from, from those new producers as well. But yeah, with all that said, thanks so much for, for taking the time to, to take us through. We do have one last tradition here <laughs> on the Rumcast. It's a bonus round of questions uh, that we call the rapid fire round. These are questions from the imagination of my co-host, John. Um, normally, I take a look at them before before we get on. I haven't seen these. Oh again, so, yeah. it, uh, you know, I, this I could I go one of I,
0: many directions. That's I, right. I, I can't
1: vouch for them in advance. But um if you're up for it we we will transition to that portion of the
3: show now i'll try i'll try
0: (laughs) all right sounds good so yeah we we're we're gonna go through these as quickly as possible and try to get to as many as we can here within the time limit will will be the timekeeper, and he'll let us know when we are done yeah i've got 60 seconds on the clock and go okay we'll start out with neat or on the rocks what's your preference Uh, neat okay column pot or blend well, I would have to say hybrid. Okay, <laughs> appropriate answer. That makes sense. Uh, molasses or cane juice or oh, cane syrup.
3: Um, yeah, I think I think molasses. You know. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because cane juice comes with a lot of inconsistencies that you, I really have to respect the French for what they do.
0: <laughs> makes sense. I, I get that, and and you've seen firsthand now that it's difficult, right? Yeah, it is. Aged or unaged?
3: i uh, equal because our, <laughs> my, our white rum, I love it. You yeah, know? I
0: hope to get a, a taste of it at some point soon. Okay, uh, are there any monks or nuns still hanging around at the Abbey at this point? And if
3: so, do they drink rum? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's none, but I, I think Colonel Kidd is still here because... He seems to be looking over my shoulder all the time.
0: Ah, the ghost of Colonel Cave. <laughs> yeah, Excellent. Yeah. All right. As an architect yourself, do you have a favorite building of all time It can be anywhere in the world? Well, I guess...
3: The Louvre Museum in Paris. Yes. The Tuileries, which was now no no longer existed, yeah. but it was across the front of the Champs Elysees. their view. Yeah.
0: Um, we we just learned about that on a trip we took recently in March. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I have no idea if you know of the show or have ever heard of the show Downton Abbey, but uh, if yes. you okay, if you have, which of your rums would you serve the characters of Downton Abbey?
3: Well, I would have to say I would have to say I would ha- would go with the 23 year old. I think it, it it kind of conjures up this dark rum more so than my like eight-year-old, which yeah. is very light and golden. That's know? for
0: the upstairs characters, right? For, yes, for the downstairs yes, characters, we'd have to think of something, maybe the, maybe the white or something different, but I'm sure yeah. they would all enjoy it.
3: Yeah, sorry. We could call it like a, a new gin cup, gin, gin and tonic, but not we'll <laughs> the <love a> gin. <laughs> right. A rum, rum and, tonic and tonic it
0: is. All right. How old does a rum from St. Nicholas have to be for us to call
3: it Old St. Nick? I I would say anywhere from five up.
0: (laughs) Okay. That's time. All right. All right. Uh, We we got through almost all of them there. That was great. The only one I didn't get to, which I think I should still have you answer, Will, if you'll allow me. All right. I'll allow it. Other than the amazing rum you were producing and many others, why should people come visit Barbados and St. Nicholas Abbey?
3: Well, you know, it's really simple. Barbados, the one thing Barbados has is really friendly, well-educated people. And that makes a big difference because I had a client that, and he, he had a home in um, in um, Bermuda. And when I went and saw how beautiful Bermuda was, I said to him, I said, why, why did you come to Barbados? And that was his answer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> For the company. Yeah. Family,
3: friendly and well-educated people.
0: I, I, as an American, uh, I resemble that remark. yeah we we travel overseas
1: to find the well-educated people now (laughs) we certainly do (laughs) oh well thank you so much yeah yeah, thanks again larry for for coming on Uh, it was great to learn more about what you're doing down there and um I know everyone. Everyone will probably listen to this, and I think be both excited by what you're doing um, because of the the small scale and and how committed you are to doing things your way. I think there will be be a little bit of sadness from our American listeners who, yes. probably their their prospects of of getting Saint Nicholas Abbey rum here in the states they may feel as dwindling now after after listening yes. to the interview.
3: <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, but all the yeah. more
1: reason to come visit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. We, exactly. we we like, uh we can be disappointed in that but we have to respect the process and results yeah, and exactly, uh, yeah. I, yeah i think that will make make the visit all the more worth it so uh appreciate well, you again for coming on the show uh well, and thank you again
3: thank you for having me and you keep up with good work because this is really uh important that you're doing this and exposing people to different types of rums in general you know
1: excellent well awesome. we we appreciate the kind words and uh we will we'll keep doing what we do as long as you keep doing what you do
3: Okay, we look forward (laughs) to seeing you soon. All right,
1: great. All right, everyone, thanks again for listening to another episode of The Rumcast. If you want to learn more about St. Nicholas Abbey, we have included a link to their website in the show notes. There's lots of information about uh, all kinds of details we didn't get into during the episode, so would encourage you to go and check that out. Lots of info there. Um, if you have any questions for john or myself we always love to hear from listeners just as we answered alex's question at the top of this show so feel free to send us an email host at rumcast.com that's h-o-s-t at rumcast.com or as Alex did you can reach us on social media John how can they find us
0: on social media you can find us at the rumcast on many platforms social media wise you can find us at the uh, Instagram Facebook Twitter did I say the Instagram The Instagram it's, it's supposed to be Instagram right that wasn't that the that's whole right. point in the movie the, the 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 one about Facebook it's not the well, Facebook it's Facebook
1: well yeah when it started Facebook was the Facebook
0: I, right that's what I'm saying and yeah, I, just, they took I it somehow off. regressed it to the Instagram right now. Right, yeah. Ugh. So, it's Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, YouTube, not the YouTube, and uh, and Twitter. So, you can find us on any one of those platforms at the Rumcast. Funny enough, maybe it should just be at Rumcast, Will. Uh, you, you know, we talked a that. lot about
1: that in, in ah, the early days. Our website, missed an is opportunity. Just, our website is just rumcast.com. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Well, we are the Rumcast after all, and I'm okay with saying that. The definite article is certainly a, a valuable one. So, yeah, find us there, uh, hit us up, let us know what you're interested in, whether or not we should call it the Rumcast or Rumcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh or if you have any other opinions on any of the rums we discussed here today either during our intro or with St. Nicholas Abbey want to tell us uh how, how some of those you've had have uh tasted and your experience with them we'd love to hear about it. So as always thank you so much for for listening. We appreciate it. Uh definitely look for us on Patreon. Uh will anything else?
1: Yeah, no. Just as as I said in the intro, um we we just released a bonus episode for our patrons all about the latest transcontinental rum line releases so if you are excited about those and want to learn more go to patreon.com the rumcast and all kinds of good stuff there bonus episodes we do happy hours once a month for our patrons that are really really fun really look forward to those that's a highlight of the month uh every month for me for sure so oh yeah anyway john until next time i'll talk to you all right